and we've been talking about Bond. Last time we discussed our least favorite Bond films, we discussed our nah Bond films, and we discussed our favorite picks of actors who have played the role of our premier secret agent, 007 James Bond. And we both Tonight decided gonna... it was David Niven. <laughs> oh, indeed. And tonight we're going to talk about who should have been Bond and our top 10 favorite Bond films. How you doing, How buddy? you doing tonight, Darren? Oh, you know, I'm hanging in there, man. It's been, uh, for those who know me, yeah, it's been, an, it's been, a, been a bit of an experience over the past couple of weeks, and that's all I really want to say at the moment. Um, I'll tell you what, I am excited to sit down and do this. We're getting close to that time of season where, you know, the jingling of bells occur, but also that that martini gets shaken not, not stirred and i've always i've mentioned many times that uh to me the james bond movies are synonymous with the holidays so we're, we're trying to get ahead of it a little bit and give you guys uh, um some james bond content you can listen to over the next couple of weeks and we just couldn't pull together our schedules uh for the crew to get our halloween special done but we are going to get that content out because i know mark you were uh, you came up with a really cool list and we're going to get that list out one of these days i hope the list i'm soon. excited to do yeah 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 the, the, the coolest villainous moments um but i'm excited about this tonight this has been a long time coming um you know it's interesting we we did decide that of the six guys we liked them all um, we sucked yeah we liked them all and there weren't that many of the movies we really didn't like. I think I only had two or three that I really just thought like were garbage. Um, I think my garbage list was a little more robust than yours. <laughs> it was, but I was really interested to see what you thought, and I, I hope people will go back and listen to uh, you. You kind of gave us the rundown of what does a good James Bond movie look like because I think we were talking about there sort of assembly line movie productions by necessity. James Bond is a good guy. He's got to go after the bad guys. They're trying to conquer the world or something. And it's like, so if it's the same formula, how come some are good? How some are mad? What, are, what makes them good? So that was really fun to do. But I'm really interested in this next segment, Mark. So you're interested in who should have been Bond? I am. I'm very interested to hear your choices, Darren. All right. So you mind if I go ahead and kick us off? Yeah, go for it, my friend. Since it's just the two of us, I do have something called uh, my list of merit, and it's only one person, and it's someone that was rumored to be Bond, uh, I think, around the time that Brosnan was between Dalton and Brosnan, and that's Liam Neeson. So we know that Mm -hmm. Craig's Bond is brutal. Neeson's would have carved a path of destruction across the globe. It would have just been his giant scar once he's done. Uh, so on to my honorable mentions, my number three, Idris Elba. After looking this up, it seems he has pulled himself from the running, citing his age. It's a damn shame. Even if we could only get one movie, I'm sure it would have been a spectacle. And Mark, I I, I think there's a fair chance you might have this next guy on your list. Um, my number two runner-up is Adrian Paul, the former Duncan McClown of Highlander fame, sometimes looked more like Sean Connery than Sean Connery did. Um, (laughs) Evidently, there were some whispers of this following Brosnan's exit, um, which I found is a little late, but I mean, the dude still looks pretty good today. Um, Could you imagine if they cast him and then set the films in the 1960s? How cool would that have been? That would have been cool. 
that that would have been really cool. I would have liked that to see that. That that's a good idea. Um, but moving on to mine, um, my, my uh, actually my last one is the same as yours, Liam Neeson. Oh wow! I I found that while researching this week, and I had not heard of that one before. And me being a Bond fan, that was kind of a surprise to me. So uh, I agree. Um, if we had a Bond in the style of Taken, I think I'd lose it. <laughs> Couldn't you imagine? Like it would have been really cool if you could have found a way to incorporate Jaws, who walks up on him, and then Bond just stares him right back in the face, like, "Oh yeah." You... <laughs> The other guys were smaller, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. He's a big, scary-looking man. <laughs> when he wants to be, sometimes he looks like you know, he, he does fatherly and you know very supportive roles very well. Yeah, he does. And he always plays that. So when I see him in something like Taken or the action movies he's gravitated towards in his later years, which is an awesome against the mold kind of thing. I love it. Yeah. I mean, he's got that. <laughs> hey, I got older. So I started doing action films. Wait, what? <laughs> he may have the second greatest thousand yard stare next to Clint Eastwood too. Like no one's beating Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's got, I don't, I don't even care if you told me Clint Eastwood was five, nothing. If you gave me that stare, I'm leaving. Like, all right, man, you win. Whatever you want, I'm gone. But uh, I think the net, after that, Liam Neeson might be number two. My uh, my other runner-up is Ray Fiennes. Oh, okay. And uh, he he was up for it a lot. I think it was at the same time as Brosnan when they were transitioning from Dalton, I believe. And uh, I think he's just got the gravitas to do it. I think he can come across very dangerous when he wants to is a stellar actor. Um, I'm a big fan of the guy, if you couldn't tell. So I, th I think he would have made a very interesting and very cool Bond. Yeah, and considering he would have just come off of uh, Schindler's List, too. Uh, uh, yeah, that's about the time frame, isn't it? Yeah, it would have gone from being a Nazi to uh, being <laughs> 007. That'd, that'd be <laughs> quite, that's quite the range, I think you'd say. Oh, yeah. All right, well, who's your favorite, Darren? So the one guy, I think, overall, that should have been Bond. And now, of course, going into this, this plays right into who our favorites are. This is not something we're saying they're the best. And we're not trying to replace any of the six guys. But my number one person who should have been James Bond is Patrick McGowan. The Prisoner, number six. Mm. McGowan's previous show, Danger Man, was the proverbial audition to play James Bond. Um, we always hear that about the actors now. If they end up in anything remotely close to, they have to wear a suit and maybe throw a punch. And they're British. They're auditioning to play James Bond. They audition to play James Bond. Well, he, uh, this is uh, right around the, this is even before Dr. No, Danger Man was the proverbial audition to play James Bond, his TV series. So much so that he was offered the role ahead of Sean Connery for Dr. No. And then again, to replace Connery for Live and Let Die. He turned it down both times, citing his distaste, distaste for increasing violence for which the series had come to be known. Boy, that seems really tame these days, doesn't it? Um, I think that he would have fit in seamlessly during the Connery-led early films. However, McGowan would have felt completely out of place during the more tongue-in-cheek Roger Moore era. I will contend this, though, Mark, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. To some degree, McGowan's Bond maybe did make it to the big screen in the form of Daniel Craig. And I'm not just talking about the blonde hair. I'm going to confess that I haven't really dug that deeply into Craig's methodology to Bond simply because he's still Bond, right? 
no one has replaced him. And I usually don't really get that interested until some time has passed. Like, I need to feel maybe even to a great degree nostalgic about it. But he's still Bond, so I haven't really given it that much thought. But I think if there is a singular inspiration to Craig's approach, it has to be McGowan's number six. The steely-eyed expression, thousand-yard stare, the brutal quick fight scenes, as brutal as the 60s would get, um, the complete disregard for authority, limited dialogue, where the other Bonds look, I don't know, to some degree comfortable, even enjoying their adventures. Craig always looks angry, like he's thinking, this job needs to get done now, and God help any of you who get in my way. Um, that's kind of what McGowan looked like in periods of The Prisoner. Now, to put a fine point on McGowan as Bond, when The Prisoner debuted, many viewers assumed that it was a sequel to Danger Man. Appropriately, a popular fan theory is that number six is James Bond, and the number twos are Agents of Spectre. And it's kind of fun to think about that when you sit down and watch The Prisoner. I watched it back in the spring. I'd never seen it all the way through. Um, It's really hard to get, like, from time to time, and IMDB was streaming it with commercials, so I'm like, okay, I tried to watch this thing like 10 years ago when they were bringing out the new version uh, of The Prisoner, and so... I vaguely remember that. Yeah, I, I made it like... I remember that. it kind of crashing and burning. Okay, so I, wa- I finally... I, I used to watch bits and pieces of it, The Prisoner, back, I don't know, probably in the 90s, but I, I, you could never get it. It was like on... PBS, do you remember Red Dwarf was on PBS? They always had the that yeah. was like that was the early BBC America, right? There was no BBC America, so the PBS is always importing all the British shows, and you would get Red Dwarf, you would get like Masterpiece Theater, and every now and then you'd get The Prisoner, and I would I would find myself watching The Prisoner. So for the first time last spring, I actually got to watch it straight through, um, and I really really loved it. And I, I, I if you're sitting there watching it, you could you totally see like Craig's Bond in McGowan's Number Six. I have never actually seen The Prisoner. Um, I'm going to interject there, though, with the remake they did of it. Wasn't Cavazel 6? Uh, yes. Jim Cavazel, right? Um, right. And uh, Ian McKellen was number two. Okay. Okay. I forgot he was in it. Which? I, yeah, I have yet to see the original. Uh, I just saw it is still on IMDb. It's also on Tubi, so I'm going to have to go check that out. Yeah, it's... I will say it gets really psychedelic at the end. You get a real sense of what probably had worked its way into the production company. A little bit of the wacky tobacco made its way into those final four episodes. Um, (laughs) But it is really good. I don't think it's my father at all really liked it. And he, he said to me, he goes, listen, there are shows that were ahead of their time. And then there's the prisoner. Um, And I know one of the problems people have with the new prisoner was the number two was Ian McKellen. Well, in the show, um, there's always rotating number twos because number six keeps defeating them. Um, anyway, so that's my number one. I know it's a popular choice. I think it would have been, like I said, I think he fits in seamlessly in some of those in the, some of those early scripts. Mark, who you got? I'm trying to think. Uh, I was trying to think who would be, and I, I really don't have a clue. My my number one. You've already mentioned my number one is Idris Elba. Oh, okay. I uh, was heartbroken when he dropped out of the running. I understand his reasoning, citing that he's too old and that a younger actor should take it for a new string of movies. I, I totally understand that reasoning, but I love that guy. 
I absolutely love his films. He has the capability of being charming. He has the capability to be extremely menacing. The man's built like a rock. <laughs> his uh, attitude is just perfect for it. I think. I also think it's time we had a Bond that shook up the little uh, status quo a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah, I, and uh, I think he'd be amazing for the job. I, I just, I love the guy. I, that's all I can say about him. I love him. Yeah, I, he was of the of the guys that have been rumored to replace him. He's been my number one for a long time, and I, I think there was a while back it might have even been you where you said that James Bond's an attitude. He doesn't need to fit a particular mold. He's an attitude. Yeah, and I, I stand by that. I think I did say that a while ago when we were discussing this at one point on a phone call and I stand by that because as I said, I think in the last uh, time we were talking about this stuff that I was one of those that rallied against Daniel Craig, but it wasn't by physical look. It was because everything I had seen him in up until that point, it just didn't seem like he had it. Right. He didn't seem like he had the right attitude, the right feel to him. It was never based on physical appearance to me. You know, it's so funny. And, uh, I'm so glad he proved me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still go back <laughs> that to That man is now my number one Bond. I yeah, mean. <laughs> that's right. He, he's, I think he was my number four. He's, I mean, he's in the top six. He's in everyone's top six, I guess you could say. Um, as, long, as long as you make the top five, you're good. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. What I remember, like, I kind of took, I think I was saying this last time, and if, if I'm being redundant, I apologize, but I kind of took to him immediately because everyone was angry that he was blonde. I'm like, Connery was bald. He had fake hair. They'll dye his hair. If you do, you believe that they don't have the capability of dyeing this man's hair. Except but, they didn't. Yeah, we're right. They didn't do it, <laughs> and it turned out not to matter. It's like, you know, they could have come out like with the Oscar-nominated film, which they almost had one, um, and people still would have been like, you know what? But he's blonde. So. <laughs> I think that, you know, it's interesting, I, reading up on this, Brosnan has been championing championing, championing a, a person of color as Bond since he left. And he, I think he was championing, championing, uh, forget it, he, he really wanted championing. Um, Idris Elba. There was someone else he wanted that actually appeared in a Bond movie, and now he's, i got to find this guy's name, uh, Reggie Jean Page is the guy he thinks should take, should take it over now. Um so, I mean, I think you're right. It, maybe it is time to st- shake up the status quo. Um, yeah, I, I think it's about time to push in that direction. We're already heading there with a lot of other properties. I mean, let, let's let Bond follow along and, and join the rest of us in the 21st century. <laughs> I know Bond has a tendency to hold on to uh, older, how do I put this, um, methodologies and well, filmmaking and um social status well, there, judy, there's a lot of times bond lags behind the current culture you're right and judy dench famously in the movie called james bond a misogynistic dinosaur and that dinosaur, was pierce brosnan no. in 1995 <laughs> that was uh she said that to him in 95 so yeah i think you're right it's uh they're a little behind the time sometimes you're right they get there, but at least they they tend to acknowledge it when they can. <laughs> yes, I just, I mean so, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for. I mean if if they want to try a a woman like this, Lashana Lynch, if I said that correctly, I'm fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean just make sure it's a good movie. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen the new film yet, unfortunately. But um, I, if she does 
the job well, then I'm all for it. Yeah, it's it's one of those like I've gotten to a point where like do whatever you want. I mean, it's you could it, it's funny. It's like the um the Star Trek movies and James Bond. It's like people were upset with the recent Star Trek movies. I'm like, you've got 700 hours of Star Trek television and you've got 11 movies. You'll be okay. It's like, if you don't like the next one, you've got 26 other movies you can go back to. You'll be fine. Yeah. I, I felt the same way when uh, people were complaining when uh, Clone Wars went off the air and they were complaining that it needed another season to wrap things up. And it was unfair that it got canceled. And so, okay. Having watched it now, I get it. It was a great show once it hit its stride. Loved it. But you're complaining about having only six seasons. Yeah, Do you know yeah. how many shows I would kill to have another one season of that got a single? Spectacular Spider-Man, Firefly, Green Lantern. I mean, there's a ton of them. <laughs> but we digress. Uh, we should get back to the subject at hand, which is Bond. And we're going to talk about our top ten favorites. Darren? I have one honorable mention. And it's something that sort of hovered between my, you know, I, I, I like what you're saying, the meh Bonds movies, but I couldn't put it on that list. And the only reason it doesn't make my top 10 is because I just couldn't find a place for it on the top 10. I couldn't move anything out. And that's Skyfall. Skyfall is my honorable mention. It certainly does not belong in the meh. But it's interesting when we went over those meh, they, they started, I think they started out at the bottom of that list as meh. And by the time we got to like maybe like 13, 12 and 11, we liked them a lot. It just, we couldn't put it. There was in the just top always 10. like maybe a thing that kept it out of the top 10. Right. You know, it was right. like, oh, well, this is a great movie, except this one character is really annoying. Or this was a great movie, except that plot line made no sense. And it's but, like, you know, it was all, it was, there were, it was less a list of not good and more of a list of almost great. Yes. And the reason Skyfall also doesn't make it is like, I love Skyfall. I liked it better was The Dark Knight, <laughs> um, which is people still tell me it's not The Dark Knight. It's freaking The Dark Knight. And by the way, I'm glad it is because I love the movie. It's a, it's the same concept with like, well, what did you think of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy? I'm like, well, I loved it because I loved it when it was called Star Wars. So why wouldn't See, that I love one? It? I just don't get at all. I don't I don't get how you get to that. <laughs> really? <laughs> I, I don't see the correlation. May it's I ask only in the broadest possible strokes. Uh, I don't know if we want to dive into that now. Yeah, maybe but we'll tackle that another time. I, I, I will answer a ser- I'll ask you a series of questions. I asked a series of questions of our, one of our other co-hosts once, and he went, "Okay, uh, you got something. Don't agree, but there's definitely that there." Anyway, my number ten, and I'm playing fast and loose with this. My number ten is Everything or Nothing, 2003, the EA Games video game. The true second best Brosnan Bond. The groundbreaking video game is the true second best Brosnan Bond. Among the early games to use high-profile actors to mocap and voice the characters. And the cast is populated with Pierce Brosnan. Willem Dafoe is the villain and a disciple of Christopher Walken's Max Zorin from View to a Kill. Which, a very strong case can be made for everything or nothing to be Bond canon. My number nine, Dr. No, 1962. The first, and some will contend, still the best. Who am I to at least not include it on my top ten? It still bleeds cool after all these years. And it's 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 like it's one of those, 
I'm flipping through channels and it's on and I'm stopping to watch it no matter where it is. My number eight, Everything or Nothing, The Untold Story of 007, 2012. The documentary about the development of the Eon Productions series. Pretty comprehensive. Very eye-opening to see so many rumors debunked and confirmed. A peek at just how huge a global phenomena it was in the 1960s. My number seven is The Man with the Golden Gun, 1974. Christopher Lee as Scaramanga. What else needs saying? To me, it's the best of the more era movies. Um, and wrapping up my 10 through 6 is Goldfinger, number uh, 1964. Perhaps the most famous of all Bond films. It's Connery at his best, better than the rest. Lays the track for all the movies to come. A true event in every sense. Mark? All right. Well, my number 10 is exactly the same as yours. PlayStation and Xbox, Everything or Nothing, 2004. I agree 100%, Darren. This is the sequel that Brosnan deserved. Um, the game has everything I could ask for in a Bond film. Globetrotting, hijinks, a dangerous villain, a dastardly plot, and, I mean... The nanobots! That was so cool! The nanobots, cool. Was, that was a great cutting-edge plot at the time. I wonder if they just couldn't pull that off in a movie. I, I don't know if that was ever... Like I don't know if I don't think it was ever considered. <laughs> and was... uh, you know, on top of that, you mix in the driving sequences with the third person action, oh, and there so is nothing fun. like a breakneck motorcycle chase down a highway with a mounted flamethrower. Yeah, and then when you jump <laughs> into the plane, and <sighs> how cool is it they brought Jaws back for that? Oh, Richard, yeah, that was the other thing I was going to bring up was bringing back Richard Keel's Jaws was fantastic, and they did it well. Yeah, and it just. I, the train, I love the train sequence. Like before uh, Uncharted 2, that was like the best train sequence in video games. That was so yeah. awesome. But you end up with an amazing cast with Pierce Brosnan, Judy Dench, Willem Dafoe, Shannon Elizabeth, Heidi Klum, and Richard Keel. I remember <laughs> like when this was announced and Goldeneye, the game, was still like super popular. And they had released a couple of James Bond's. But am I, I don't know if you remember this, and correct me if I'm wrong. Like, they did GoldenEye, which had Brosnan's likeness, and then they did a couple of other ones that was like this generic James Bond that didn't look like any of the actors. It was just sort of like this... this I think I remember that. Cut and paste, handsome British guy sort of deal. And then they announced this, and they're like, no, Pierce Brosnan's likeness in it. He's doing the voice, and by the way, so are all the actors, including Judy Dench and all that, and... We cast I mean, Willem Dafoe, and you're like, oh my Down God. to the beginning of this game, where you start off disrupting a nuclear briefcase bomb deal in Tajikistan, and Bond gets the sides fighting each other, and it takes off in a stolen Harrier, and it pulls back into the gun barrel fade-out, and then into a complete stylized artistic opening sequence, complete with theme song. Yeah. It was... You were in the movie. You. It, it I was just, incredible. I remember... And like, it was just groundbreaking to me i um i'm gonna say something unpopular i didn't really like goldeneye oh the game i'm yeah yeah the gold yeah the game i am not a big fan of n64 goldeneye one i'm not a big fan of first person shooters okay two i don't do multiplayer it's not really my jam so i get why people love it i'm not dissing anybody who actually adores the game i get your reasons but it's just not for me did you ever so play for the, me uh... Mm -hmm. Did you ever try playing the remake of that when they inserted Daniel Craig into Goldeneye? 
No, because it had the same reasons I didn't want to play it. I'm not oh, a big fan of first-person shooters. I actually shooters. did play it. <laughs> I don't do online multiplayer. I did play it for a while. I, I kind of enjoyed it. I Because I, he had the little zapper. You could do you could move around. Yeah, I've heard zapper. it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Ah, this was so cool. <clears throat> All right, so moving on. Um, number nine. My number nine is 1967, the fifth Bond film, You Only Live Twice. Um, it should have actually been on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but they reportedly went with this. And I, I don't know if this is true, but what I read was that they didn't want to scout high and snowy locations at the time. <laughs> Which, if true, that's an awesomely ridiculous reason to not make on Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> it's set mostly in one location which is kind of an oddity for a bond film it's in japan and uh the reasons i love it are many one being donald pleasance's blofeld and that's it's i love his performance i love donald pleasance i I am a huge fan of his work he was great and uh what kid wasn't enamored with a volcano hideout i mean you know <laughs> There's just so many things about that movie that, you know, it, it deviates greatly from the book, which was pretty much a revenge trip with Bond looking for revenge for his wife's death. And uh, it, it's a totally different feel in the movie, but it works for me. Uh, my number eight, For Your Eyes Only, uh, departed from the outlandishness of Moonraker and gave us kind of a return to Bond's serious roots, but with Roger Moore still at the helm as Bond. And I think uh, it's a, it's also a revenge film at heart. It explores some nice psychological implications of what revenge leads us to and what it entails. It's gritty, it's grounded, and uh, that's a little bit... I want to say it's an oddity for a Moore film, but the more I looked at my list, the more I realized that tended to drift in and out of his films a lot. They weren't as comedic as some would have you believe. So uh, I think it's notable also for uh, not having M as Bernard Lee has recent had recently died of cancer when the film was made and they refused to recast him and decided to let that go as a tribute to him. So also a great uh, tribute to a well-known actor there. Number seven, Skyfall. I did fit it on my list. <laughs> I uh, have to say it's uh, the only Bond film to gross over $1 billion dollars. Connery was apparently considered for the caretaker role that Albert Finney had, but was actually not approached contrary to popular belief. The producers felt that it was too gimmicky for the 50th anniversary and they didn't want to do it. Yeah, that would have. I think, I think I agree with them. It would have distracted from the rest of the film. Yeah. And it would, I think that would have been cool, but unwarranted. See that to me, if I may interject, it would have felt, you're right. It would have felt gimmicky and like, you're going to bring Connery back to bond and that's all he's going to do. I mean, it just, uh, I, I'm glad they, they didn't do that. And, you know, I agree with Darren here that Skyfall is absolutely 100% based on The Dark Knight. I mean, it has so many similar beats to it, it's not even funny. But I'm always of the opinion that there's no issue for me retreading the same ground as long as you do it well and bring something new to the table. And I feel Skyfall does that in spades for me. And number six, I'm going to go with the man with the golden gun. Um, Apparently it almost tanked the franchise. (laughs) It's a controversial choice, but I love it. Um, Mainly based on Christopher Lee's performance, I have to say. Um, Mary Goodnight, I'll just forget about. 
I have no idea how somebody that completely inept and stupid could possibly be an intelligence agent. I don't get it. <laughs> it was a horribly written character. <laughs> but um, we also get Maude Adams in her first appearance in a Bond film before Octopussy. <laughs> <laughs> and about the only thing I can really cl- uh, complain about in the film is the inclusion of J.W. Pepper from Live and Let Die. Whoever thought bringing the Hick Sheriff in was a good idea. Bad, bad, bad. Um, the novel took place in Jamaica. They changed it to the east to try to vary things up because they'd already used the location a few times. And uh, I have to say that I enjoy the movie as a whole. I like the idea of the villain who is pretty much a dark mirror of Bond. I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. And I'm sure we'll cover that territory again, too. So, moving on. Uh, you, you mentioned that it almost killed the franchise. Why is that? Uh, it was not very well received, either critically or box office. You know, it's interesting. When I did a little bit of research for this, I found that movie at a lot at the bottom of a lot of people's lists, which surprised yeah. me. Me, too. Um. So I wow. said it's kind of a controversial choice for me to have it high up on the top ten list, but I love the film. <laughs> Care to take us into the top five, Darren? All right, here we go. Top five, our five favorite Bonds films. Uh, my number five is On Her Majesty's Secret Service, 1969. I like Lazenby. We both do. Uh, he was fine. As we both stated a few weeks ago, I think it would have been fun to see what he would have done in the role, given a little bit more time. But, having said that, um, it's hard not to play what if with this entry. With Connery in the role, obviously the, um, the story will change a bit, but how much more weight would that final scene have? Um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is arguably still the series' best attempt to learn more about James Bond, the man. Um, and uh, to me, I'm like, how much do we really want to know about James Bond? Um, but at the same time, this was kind of an interesting, a little bit eye-opening. I've often wondered if Connery saw this and then was annoyed by the fact that this was the direction the movies were headed when he returned only to find himself returning in the unworthy of his presence, diamonds are forever. Um, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. A lot of people say that Skyfall is the one that, that gives you the most about James Bond, the man that I'm kind of like, I only saw it one time. I'm going to rewatch it here in a couple of weeks. I've been wanting to rewatch it for a long time. And I just remember you know, like, so he goes to his house, which was big and he tells us he hated the house. I mean, I don't, I guess I don't really know how much more that gives me about his past. And I feel like in on her Majesty's secret service, there's a little bit more depth there. Uh, Mark. Yeah. I feel like they explore his personality a little more and on her Majesty's secret service. But I've got to say, um, I think I disagree. That final scene is where I actually appreciate Lazenby because he projects a little more vulnerability there than I think Connery would have done. Okay. I, I can see that. And was he a great actor at the time? No, he was brand new and fresh. Was he the caliber of Connery as Bond? No. Well, he was. But like I said, I think he, I think he manages to be a vulnerable Bond better than Connery might have. I, I could see that. And Connery had already given what that would have been his sixth, right? And he had already yeah. established that. Listen, you're not going to get to me no matter what you do, kind of like over six movies. So I think you're probably right about that. Yeah. 
But uh, okay, so my number five is Dr. No, the film that started it all in 1962, directed by Terrence Young, who also gave us From Russia with Love and Thunderball. Uh, resulted in a, from a partnership between Harry Saltzman and Albert Broccoli after Fleming sold the rights for all Bond films for 50K. Wow. Which adjusted for inflation today is $463,000, which still seems really light for your entire catalog. But, I mean, he, he had to have a piece of uh, the gross, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Terrence Young in this movie establishes a lot of the feel of Bond films, especially the comedic innuendo and one-liners from Bond. Um, those are very much his creation to give it a little levity. Um, according to Terrence Young, he did that to try to get it past the censors a little bit better with the violence. He said, you know, when we take it too seriously... It's violent, violent. But when we start putting the tongue in the cheek, people stop paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, Max, Max von Zittau turned down the Dr. No part <laughs> and also introduces a 14-film run of Lois Maxwell as Miss Moneypenny. So uh, it starts off the entire franchise. This is where it began, and this has to be in my top five. This is what started it all. So, yeah, a lot of childhood memories of watching that with my dad and a lot of appreciation for uh, Bond coming to that off of, like, you know, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that one in a long time, too. Um, I was mentioning it did make my top ten, but I haven't seen it straight through. Like, I haven't made a point to sit down and watch it. I've always sort of caught it. And so I, it's another one I kind of want to sit down and watch here at some point. My number four is Becoming Bond 2017. Now, this is the absolute bonkers tale of how George Lazenby got the role following Sean Connery's exodus. Part documentary, part comedy, almost kind of off-putting it, off it first. Now, we all know that George Lazenby had zero acting experience, but nobody knew it then. He somehow convinced producers that he was a seasoned screen star elsewhere in Europe. Or it was either that or in Australia. And the whole the whole movie is told by George Lazenby himself. He narrates the action, and then they cut to actors and actresses who are literally acting out the scenes. Like, he'll set it up, and then he'll act out the scenes. Um, some big stars are in this, too. There's a couple of people to recognize. Dana Carvey plays Johnny Carson in uh, when he goes on. They actually uh, set up the scene where he goes on Johnny Carson and quits Bond, and Dana Carvey's playing Johnny Carson. Um, it's it's so weird. Like when you first watch like the first twenty minutes, you're like, "What is this?" And then it kind of settles into a groove where it's very documentary style, and then you go back to George Lazenby now telling you about all the stuff that he did and how he fooled people. And then, um, you know, they show the scene like he, he literally could not take it seriously when he was supposed to film the gun barrel sequence. He just kept intentionally screwing it up and he was pissing everybody off. Um, if you believe half of what he says in this and so much of it was verified by the other documentary, Everything or Nothing, the story of 007... This dude could still be playing James Bond and nobody would care. And it's kind of cool 
that he 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 does that one and he immediately is like i'm done and walks away and he's totally fine with it um just if you haven't seen this mark your your bond experience to me is not complete and if i had watched this prior to closer to us making our who's your bond list he could have been number one for me because especially when he's he's getting ready to shoot the first scene and i forget what the scene was and he freezes and he walks over to whoever the director was and he goes i'm gonna tell you something i have never acted in front of a camera before right now and whoever the director was just throws up the script just starts laughing he goes just stick with me. We'll be fine. Uh, it's just like he lied his way into James Bond. That in itself is so impressive that I can't even put it into words how impressed I am with his ability to BS. Like, and it's so funny. Like they said that like there's a scene in there, if I recall this, where they call him into a conference room and he thinks that he's been had. And he's like, we're officially offering you the role of James Bond. And he's so shocked. He's like, okay. <laughs> he's like, not even so. He's like, he's like, and I, I remember him saying, he's like, I got the role. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> like, he, he's like, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> um, so I think there's no way that happens today. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm a huge star in Australia. I've done all kinds of movies in Australia. Okay, sure, whatever, buddy. <laughs> Throw me a YouTube link. Yeah, yeah. Let me see your real. Like, ah, you don't need to worry about that. Look, come on. Um, just an, if you haven't seen Becoming Bond, check it out. Got to get through the first twenty minutes because it's a little bit strange how they set this thing up. And then after a while, you you get to like him so much as he's sitting here telling you his story about this, and he's he's impossible not to like. All right, I'll have to check that out. Uh... And you do wish. You find yourself going, man. I wish you'd have done more. I really would have. He would have been great. <laughs> no, I, I like we said last time. I really would have been interested to see what he would have grown into. I mean, quite frankly, yeah, he's wooden in some scenes. He's not the best. You can tell he's a fresh actor. But considering he had never acted in front of a camera before that film, he does pretty damn well. Yeah. <laughs> All things considered, I mean, considering the context, eh, not bad. Yeah, it's also. I don't think I'd fare half as well. Oh God, no! He also said you can see that like Diana Rigg hated him because she figured him out real oh, fast. Yeah. She's like, oh, I gotta <clears throat> deal with this now. Well, he he also ruffled a lot of feathers on the way out, mm-hmm. apparently too. Um, you know, because uh, some of the things I understood, like things I'd read with Diana Rigg, that he wanted to have input on how scenes were filmed and how things were done and this and that and. She was just very upset by that. I was like, no, you got to earn your stripes first. Yeah. And then you get to have a say in what happens. You don't know what you're doing. Sit back and shut up. <laughs> so maybe she was a little extreme there, but I can understand where she's coming from, too. Yeah, but just think of the stones on this guy to do. Not only just to get yourself in a position where you have no acting experience. Now you want to be on the set calling shots. I mean, that takes a pair of cojones that, man, <laughs> I... I suppose if you've made it that far, you're like, what the heck? I may as well, you know, I'm going to call the shots here, too. You know what? I'm going to direct it, too. Let's just do that. You know, come on. I I certainly wouldn't have the stones to do that or to even attempt it. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. uh, We could talk about this all night. (laughs) My number four is From Russia With Love. 
It is the second Bond film, 1963, and it had its own share of firsts. It is the first detached credit sequence, pre-credit sequence. It is the first theme song with lyrics written for the film that leads into an artistic opening featuring well-scantily clad women. It's Bond. It introduces Ernst Stavro Blofeld. It introduces Desmond Llewellyn as Q. And it also starts the tradition of James Bond will return in the credits. Um, it's a great movie. It really establishes Connery as Bond. I think he really comes into his own in this one with a lot more confidence and a lot more flair as Bond. I think he does a great job. And of course, how can I talk about From Russia With Love without mentioning Robert Shaw? Oh, yes. Robert Shaw as the villainous antagonist. It's another one where the villain is kind of a dark mirror of Bond. And in Bond films, that seems to work very well. Yeah, it does. He's he's capable of being classy. He's capable of being direct in action. The villain is capable of pretending to be British and doing it well. <laughs> so, I mean, Robert Shaw's uh, villainous turn there is just, mm, love it. It's the highlight of the film for me. My number three is Casino Royale, 2006. It's Craig's Believer Maker. You don't want me as James Bond? No problem. Come tell me to my face. Um, now, uh, you know what? I'm not going to say much else because I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this in a few minutes. Mark? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, my number three, I'm going with Goldeneye. <clears throat> Goldeneye came from director Martin Campbell in 1995 after a six-year hiatus during legal disputes over the Bond property, financial difficulties, and ultimately resulting in Dalton stepping down amidst all of this turmoil. It is the first Bond film to not use any elements from Ian Fleming, but boy does it work. Uh, in my opinion, Goldeneye has absolutely the best Bond villain, Bond villain with Alec Trevelyan. I mean, he is, Sean Bean is fantastic, and once again, we hit that dark mirror of Bond. It's a fellow MI6 agent who's gone rogue and turned villain. Introduced the absolutely spectacular Judy Dench as M, and uh, incidentally is the last film that Albert Broccoli worked on before his death uh, as executive producer, so... Um, it also changes, has to change things up a lot and redefine itself in the modern era because in six years, a lot of things can happen. And during that time period, we had the fall of the Soviet Union, the, the Berlin Wall came down, a lot of the landscape politically changed, physically as well in some cases. And so they had to re-examine how Bond would work in this new world. And that's where, you know, the line you quoted earlier, where Judy Tench calls him misogynist dinosaur, who's a relic of the Cold War, comes in. That they acknowledge that Bond has to re-establish himself in a new era. And Brosnan does it in spades. He just steals the show here. Um, makes me sad that he wasn't Bond earlier, to be honest, because of the Remington Steel contract. And uh, I think it's just amazing how they brought the film into the air after a six-year hiatus and manages to knock it out of the park like this. So that's my number three. And also have to give a shout-out to an awesome name reference because uh, Goldeneye was a World War II operation 
to spy on Spain with the fear that they were going to join the Axis powers and sabotage them if necessary. That plan was developed by Commander Ian Fleming, and it also later became the name of his estate in Jamaica. Oh, wow. So the name's loaded with Fleming references, too, so that's kind of fun. But they didn't pull from his books for ideas, but they still gave some fun Easter eggs for him. My number two, From Russia with Love, 1963. Connery's second turn feels the most like an espionage thriller of all the movies in the series to me. Um, I agree. I will confess to not having seen it in many years, only having the vaguest of plot details from memory to draw from. But I remember seeing it during one of the 007 Days of Christmas marathons and being mesmerized by it. And I'm excited to rewatch it sometime this holiday season. I'm actually um, replaying the game, too. I re- like About two years ago, I replayed Everything or Nothing. And uh, I enjoyed it, and I'm replaying um, from Russia with Love. Like I managed to do that a couple times at my lunch just to get my mind off of some things. So I found that I'm like, oh, this feels like a, like it might be fun, and I enjoy it. It's uh, and what a coup that was to get Sean Connery to come in and do the voice. Um, I know it deviates; the game deviates significantly from the movie, which is good for me because I wanna um, I wanna go back and watch the movie. It's funny, like I'm watching, I'm playing the game a little bit, and I'm like, did they just update this and set it in present day? Because that's kind of weird. So it's like the game's sort of like, well, it's in the '60s, but he's got a lot of stuff that we would, if this was 2006, he'd have that too. So I'm like, sure, why not? Um, that's a little weird, but yeah, okay. <laughs> it is a little weird. Um, but it's uh, seeing Connery and listen. It's so funny how how good his voice sounded back then, because I know for a while he sounded. Uh, starting to sound a little not like him but he sounds great and um the movie itself like you said robert shaw um i think most audiences know as quint from jaws he's in here as just this he, he's like got that look about him like if you round the corner and that guy's standing there you're, you're turning back and going back around that corner um he's, he's menacing in that yeah uh very very uh uh very good villain for that movie um, I lo- it's you're right about it. It it's got all the hallmarks of James Bond, but they hadn't become punchlines yet. Shut up, Siri. They hadn't become punchlines yet to some degree. They hadn't they hadn't found their way into the it, you know there wasn't enough to parody yet. So it's kind of like they found the formula. And you're right. The uh, is it Matt Monroe who does the song? Um, I think is the name of the singer. Uh, I think yeah, I yeah, think so. Yeah, it's uh, it's such a great opening, and I remember I remember when I first started watching all these movies, I completely watched them out of sequence. Not that there really was a sequence, I guess. I guess to maybe right, it doesn't really there. matter so much. So it's funny. I remember thinking like way, way, way back when I didn't even know Doctor No was a James Bond movie for a while because he's not in there. Like, oh, give me my martini and ha ha, here's a double entendre and uh, Bond James Bond. Like, he does it like at the beginning of the movie, but then that's it. Um, so it's such it it's one of those movies that other than like just the way it looks and the grainy feel of the film you could feel like this movie was could play just as fine today which is something i want to talk to you about how what the when we're done with our list i do want to ask you a few questions about the direction of the series so i'll turn it over to you for your number two all Um, right happy to play along yeah 
All right, my number two is 1964, as we've already discussed, Goldfinger, directed by Guy Hamilton, first of his four, Live and Let Die, The Man with the Golden Gun, and unfortunately, Diamonds Are Forever being his others. (laughs) Goldfinger was where United Artists obviously started having faith in Bond as a franchise. The budget of Goldfinger was equal to Dr. No and From Russia With Love combined. So they started having some faith in the property, started having some faith in Connery and the direction this was going. And you can tell this is the film where they start establishing the Bond tropes. This is the film where it starts with the globe trotting, the multiple Bond girls, the Q branch with the tech gadgets, over the top henchmen. It's everything here leads into everything that came after it. This is we laid, we broke ground for Bond with Dr. No and From Russia With Love. This is where the foundation was laid and the building started. Okay, I get what you're saying there, yeah. So yeah, Goldfinger is a childhood favorite of mine, and I am happy to say, unlike some things I've rewatched in the past, Goldfinger still holds up to this day for me. Yeah, it's, will... yeah you have to take into, into consideration that it's a product of the times. Of course. But... The film itself is solid, and it's a fun ride all the way through. Odd Job, my favorite Bond henchman of all time. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, it's. Uh, I still... I, Go ahead. I rewatched it a few years ago, um, and when I say I rewatched the movie, like I literally planned and sat down and found it and watched it from start to finish. You know, like, like I said, I, one of the things I used to love about the holidays is I discovered Bond. From I think it was TNT for many years did 007 oh, yeah. of Christmas, and I didn't really need to see the start. I just turn one on and to be happy for forty five minutes or so, pick them up wherever they were, and that's how I just watch my Bond films. I just that's I didn't I mean I, I mean I, I, it sounds like a knock like really what did you need to know about the plot? You already knew you already knew what you needed to know going in. There wasn't a whole lot to worry about. I mean, it was yeah, like, but you know, that's not always a bad thing. No, you know, if I'm I go saying. into a restaurant that I've frequented many times and try a different meal, I'm probably pretty sure what kind of style it's going to be. Exactly. And I can I mean, probably know what I'm in for. I, I guess, you know, it's one of those things where one of the reasons I love James Bond, and I guess you could say that to some degree, there was a couple of entries in the Daniel Craig area that may differ, but James Bond never really asks that much of you, right? In a good way. Um, it doesn't ask a whole lot of you. Like, you know what you're getting into. You want to see some great stunts. You want to see, um, some fun stuff with James Bond. You want to see, you want to watch your fantasy on screen and that's it. That's all you want. You don't want it. You're not going to think about it for days on end afterwards. By the, by the time you fall asleep that night, you're probably done with it. Um, but that's what you want, you know? And, um, that's how I, you know, that's how I consumed James Bond for the longest time. And then I did make it a point. I'd say, you know, when you and I became friends, which, you know, we started talking about this, it's like, okay, maybe I need to start, like, actually watching these things for what they are and, like, making a point to get the breadth of the story and sit down, start the movie from start to finish and watch it. And I enjoy them. I mean, it's not like I wasn't getting it before, but it's really fun to watch them. They're fun movies to watch. Um, they are, and I, I love the fact that there are periods of their time, um, that they're indicative of the times in which they were produced, and some of them are dated, but I like seeing that stuff. 
I mean, so so many of these movies predate yeah. us, and that's kind of cool. Like, as bad as Diamonds Are Forever is, it's kind of cool to see Vegas back oh, yeah, in the nineteen sixties. You know, you know they're giving like God, that place is not like it. Literally, is like oh, it's 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 barely more than a, a old western town with high rises. Like you could probably walk one end to the other at that point and you're done with Vegas and like you better turn around because there's nothing but desert after that. So it's kind of cool to see that stuff. And that's the globe trotting is one of the major aspects of it. And it's one of the, one of the big appeals and golden gold finger, excuse me, was to me the one that epitomized that and you're right. It, it, it gives you that here's everything you're going to be loving about this franchise for the next 50 years. Enjoy. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. It's and plus that, that theme song, Shirley Bassey. What a wonderful, oh, I think yeah. a, I think Goldfinger also started the trend. I could be wrong in this one, but I think they also started the trend of using a symphonic version of the theme song to underscore the action. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also I, I wonder if they started the trend of using artists to sing the songs about two or three years after they were popular. <laughs> <laughs> because that is true of quite a few Bond films. Yeah, and I'm always... Like, wow, didn't, didn't they hit their heyday like three or four years ago? <laughs> Well, we're gonna help them out here. They're throwing them a bone, yeah. Like Sheena Easton, like it was like, yeah, you're right about that. That's funny. Yeah, I, I mean, with a View to a Kill's a great song, but wasn't Duran Duran kind of kind of done by that point? Oh no, like, that was they the, no, really they were at their peak. Anymore. They were absolutely were they? at their peak. I, back I thought it was a few years after. No, they 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 carry. And okay. they remember they had a big resurgence in the '90s too. Anyway, did so. they? Okay, oh, yeah. I must have forgotten about that then. They had um, Tina put... Turner was definitely past her heyday. <laughs> You know what though? I'll say this. Um, but Tina Turner's kind of timeless, so it doesn't. Yeah, matter. that's what I was gonna say. Like you know, you, you could have used her at any time during this period, and she would have been fine. Like you could use her now, and she's still relevant. Um, Aha was definitely kind of obsolete by the time they had a theme song. Yeah, but a good one. It was. Oh yeah, Living Daylights is a great song. I always like looking at the liner notes for stuff like that. Ah, the Living Daylights. Ah, the living daylights. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh, the living daylights. All right, Darren, take us home with your number one. My number one should be no surprise. Goldeneye, and now Mark, you did a great job explaining uh, exactly, like pretty much the all the reasons I love this. It's I I think it's the most self aware of all the bonds for the reasons you illustrated that like they probably did have some issues with how they're going to present bond considering um the cold war had ended uh and they very clearly stated he was a product of the cold war and i don't want to like be redundant here but you, you did such a good good job illustrating it i don't quite know where to go with it um other than to Sorry. say that just no 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 that was great you, you did a better job than i would have um it's th- this was the first one i saw in theaters um, because I mean, let's like, I was not allowed to see the Timothy Dalton ones because there, I remember there being a big, uh, there was, it was in the news for being the most, one of them living daylights was in the news for being the most violent of all the bond films, which if you go back and watch it, I don't know. By today's standards. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it seems a bit silly. Um, so I wasn't allowed to watch it. And then you know, the Roger Moore, I think to me, I think the prevailing thought, whether or not it's true, 
Um, I think the Roger Moore era was the fa- the the foundation seemed to be sex with the Roger Moore era ones. Um, yeah. uh, that was the prevailing notion. So I wasn't allowed to watch those. Um, so then it was usually around like the time I got into high school and I discovered the 007 days of Christmas and my dad actually really did like the movies, but he wasn't telling me. Um, so then I would start watching them with him, but golden. I was the first one I actually went and saw in theaters and I was, and that's kind of like when I went, Oh, I get it. Like, not that I didn't get it. Like I said, Bond doesn't ask a whole lot of you, but it's like, this is really cool. I mean, all right. So James Bond is a secret agent. Yeah. That I knew. But there's a little more depth here. And, you know, oh, this is pretty cool. And I remember, I don't know why this is, one of the scenes in the trailer. It had a great trailer, by the way, when it introduced Brosnan. Because I don't know how aware people were that he was the new Bond. And I know there was probably a very large portion of the fan base that didn't know he was Bond until they saw that first trailer. With him walking out of the shadows and saying, were you expecting someone else? And then they show the quick cut. And there's one that always stuck with me where, like, he's Bond's playing with something or he's trying to manipulate something and he's being shot at and, like, the sparks are going behind his head and he just sort of flinches for a second. And But he's, he doesn't even miss a beat doing what he's doing. I'm like, oh, so Bond is the coolest of all the action heroes. He is the archetype <laughs> for the action hero. This is, this is what everyone else has been trying to be is James Bond. And I got all that. And some of my other couple notes here. I watched it last year over the holidays, and I loved it. Um, yeah, it's dated. And it, which is, I, again, I want to ask you a few questions about where we're going with this and when you're done here. It is dated, but it doesn't feel that dated to me. It really only feels dated when they start showing them, like, messing on the desktop computers. And those are those old, like, the old IBM computers that were all, all computers in that era were tan. They were all that, like, same color tan. <laughs> And those keyboards were like the, with the with the phone cord, and you're like, that's every computer ever built from like eighty nine, eighty eight to like ninety eight. Um, like they were only half; they were like six months away from having all gateway computers in there or something. Um, why did they replace Felix Leiter with Buford Pusser? That's like the one thing you go, huh? Well, that's an odd choice. Hey, wait a minute, wasn't that the dude who was just in the last one as a bad guy? Um, right. Um, and I think Brosnan's performance to me in this movie is second only to Connery's and Goldfinger. Um, I'm just going to say one name, Famke Jensen. I, complete fantasy. Like, she walked on the screen and, like, you're like, whoa, who is this? I don't want, I mean, I, we're, we don't objectify women on this podcast, never have, never will, but that was one woman I thought died. It's one of those, like, she's so beautiful it's ridiculous like i found myself going myself going that's ridiculous no one looks like this these women don't exist and then she's running around the movie trying to kill people between her thighs and like sure whatever man and if that's how i gotta go well dang it i guess that's how i gotta go <laughs> does she kill a russian general do <laughs> yes she does and he dies with a smile on his face yeah yeah as would we have all i mean She's my favorite Bond girl easily in this. Um, it's just, you know, and it, there's a bit of a melancholy feel to this day when you watch it now because I think even you had said at one point, and we agree that he should, Brosnan steps into Goldeneye and everyone's like, there it is. There is your definitive Bond. 
we're this this argument will be over by the time he leaves the role and and like like he's my favorite bond i illustrated in this a couple of weeks ago that he's the only one that didn't get backlash when he was cast and he's the only one who got dumped um he gets he's always at the bottom of people's lists it's not his fault he should have been like everyone should be falling behind even like connery I think both Connery and Moore are quoted as saying, by the time he's done, no one's even going to remember us. And when he steps in, when you're done watching Goldeneye, most of us went, yeah, yeah, you're right. I can't wait for this next one. And unfortunately, they just got progressively worse. And it's a shame. But you know what, though? It's so cool that this is still my number one. And I think it's still going to be my number one for a long time. And it's it's a good, it's just a good, solid action film. And you could have good, solid action films, but you put someone like Pierce Brosnan as James Bond as the lead, and you're like, I will watch this movie for the rest of my life and be happy. Mark? Well, no surprise here. My number one is 2006 Casino Royale, first Bond film with Daniel Craig. And coming off of Brosnan's last film, Die Another Day, the difference couldn't be more stark i mean one is my favorite bond film one is my second least favorite bond film that's my least yeah the diamonds are forever is the only one that beat it out for me (laughs) because at least in um die another day the stakes felt high enough to involve a double o agent for me not you know diamond smuggling (laughs) but i digress um casino royale just revitalized the franchise in a way it had not been done maybe ever. (laughs) Daniel Craig shook things up with being a different visual look for Bond, but nailing that brute killer look. And I don't agree, as I said before, with Judi Dench referring to him as a blunt instrument. He's more like a knife wielded in the dark, plunged into your side. And this, this is the Bond from the novels that I grew up reading that my dad passed down to me. This is the Bond that I always wanted to see on screen. I loved Bond. I loved the films. But something was always just maybe a little bit missing from the books. And I felt like Daniel Craig embodied everything about what I'd always wanted Bond to be. And I think I mentioned before that I had boycotted him and that I was not going to see the movie. (laughs) And a friend of mine told me that, you know, no, I saw it. It's awesome. I'm seeing it again. I'm going. You're going with me. I'm paying for your ticket and you're going to like it. (laughs) so i got out of the theater and realized uh yep that was possibly my favorite bond film came as a shock to me i love it it was my best bond theme ever (laughs) you mean the 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 chris cornell chris cornell you know my name that is my favorite bond film of all i mean bond theme of all time i absolutely adore that song uh yeah that's a good one um it's uh it's so good and i I will admit that uh i i got to daniel craig a lot quicker the only reason i was upset was because brosnan was cast aside and i i don't know if this was true but i thought they had at one point announced that he was at least going to do one more but it was probably going to be his last and then he just said forget it um you know and so i was more upset that brosnan was done and that someone else was going to come in and I didn't really care who it was. Um, I, I mean, 
it, it's but when they announced him, I was like, okay, sure, whatever. I'm sure, I'm sure he'll be great. Who cares? Um, it's so funny you mentioned that the the difference between Die Another Day and Casino Royale. I always thought like when you look at the the '90s Batman films, you start with Batman 1989, and then you end up with Batman and Robin. But it took you know there was a gradual progression of ridiculousness that was inserted into these movies. Well, in the James Bond, it was literally like Die Another Day to Casino Royale was like going from Batman and Robin to Batman, like in the span of like one movie period. It was. A I, I take that further. It's, it's really not any different than going from Batman and Robin, and a couple of years later coming out with Batman Begins. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's and, because I it, it. I mean, <laughs> and I didn't realize I, I love the nineteen eighty nine Batman film, but Burton takes a lot of liberties, and it's oh, obvious sure. he doesn't really know a lot about Batman. <laughs> well, I was I was more speaking of like the tonal shift that occurred. And, um, well, and that's what I mean is like it's still a little bit outlandish. It's still over the top. It's still ridiculous. Whereas Batman Begins just slams it down into reality, and that's exactly what Casino Royale does. Which you know, it's interesting in researching for some of this stuff. I did not realize that Batman Begins actually had a lot to do with getting the Bond into the direction it, it went. Um, yeah. Because uh, it was one of those things where yeah, I, I think we remember Batman Begins. Like I don't listen. Anyone who tells me like, oh, I knew Batman was going to Begins was going to be awesome from the day one. Like no one thought that. All right, nobody thought that. It's like we same, were all skeptical. Yeah, it's like the same as like no, it's like you know, oh, Gal Gadot's the perfect Wonder Woman. Nobody thought that. Actually, our former co-host Johnny absolutely thought that. He's the one person I know who thought, no, she's the perfect choice. And we told him he was wrong on this podcast, and then eventually he was proven right. It took a while, but my my wife for the longest time, anytime her name was mentioned, she would just mutter under her breath, hashtag not my Wonder Woman. <laughs> But um, having after seeing the movie, we both agree. Hashtag that's my Wonder Woman. And I think the same. I think a lot of people probably did the same thing with Daniel Craig along the way yeah. in the years so. before hashtagging. They probably oh this guy's gonna suck. And then you come out of that theater going, I went with my dad. I remember going with my dad. He was just excited to go see James Bond. He didn't. I mean he you know he grew up with James Bond. He was very used to the um, the regeneration to Doctor Who this up of uh, James Bond. So it didn't matter to him. And he, he's like. Within like twenty minutes of the movie, he's like, "This guy's great." He is like leaning over to me and telling me how good he is. Um, so yeah, I think one of the brilliant moves they made was taking it back to the beginning of Bond. Yeah, and I love one of the one of the more brilliant things about that is how they don't use the Bond theme until the very end. Yeah, they didn't give you the gun barrel sequence. And I, they don't know. give you because it indicates that he is now the Bond you know. Yes. Yeah, I like that. Um, it's such, it's such a great. It's a slow moving movie too. It's like I don't like if you ask me to to lay out what happens in sequence in that movie, I really can't. I it's it's just so. I know that he chases some guy in a Hawaiian shirt. I know that. Uh, <laughs> Um, and from there, eventually he plays cards and then he's on a train and then he, he flips the, the Austin, Aston Martin and then he's chasing some guy and it, it, the building collapses at one point into the water and it's just like, it's all there. I don't know the sequence and I don't really care. And he, it's, it's just such a fun movie and it's, I feel like if I watch it, I could, I could pick up something new almost every time. 
please, to anybody out there, note that Darren should not be considered the definitive version of Cliff Notes for Casino Royale. Just saying. No, for sure. <laughs> but no, you nailed pretty much all of the uh, major set pieces in order. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but I... how awesome is that Parker chase up the crane? Oh, yeah. There, there's, there's one funny thing. Like, I watched it the last time I watched it where he double punches people and he misses the second guy by, like, three feet. Um, one of those like, oh, we only shot one of these, huh? Okay. <laughs> it's, well, so, uh, and what do our number ones have in common? They're both directed by Martin Campbell. Oh yeah, that's is that right? Yes. That guy never made a bad movie. <laughs> I'm gonna pretend you didn't say that. Please do, please do. Oh, this is really really fun. We're not quite done yet, do Mark? Because I wanted to spring something on you because I want you are the James Bond guy of our podcast. So I wanted to get your direction. Now we both, we, I think your official stance is that you really don't, I'm not going to say you don't care, but you don't really have, now that Idris Elba has officially removed himself, you don't have a front runner to who the, who the next bond is going to be. Someone that you don't necessarily like, you're not going to say this guy or nobody. We, we know not to do that. Um, unless that's changed since last we talked, is there anyone that, no, no, I mean like the, well, I don't know if the list is still the same. Cause like last year when we talked about this, I think it was Idris Elba, Tom Hardy, uh, Richard Madden from game of Thrones and, uh, also Eternals. And, um, who was the last one? Tom Hiddleston. And honestly, I'd be perfectly happy with any of those guys. Yeah, Idris I, Elba was the one I was pulling for, but any of them else? I think right now they say uh, Tom Hardy Hardy's the one with the top running, like odds wise, but that doesn't mean anything to producers. So, no, and it's it's funny. I don't. I have. It's funny. I I'm sort of out of the loop with movies and television since my son was born. I don't get to really dive into it. I've never seen Game of Thrones. I saw a couple episodes of Game of Thrones. Um, I've not seen most of these things, so I don't really know who these people are. I know Loki is one of the guys. That's uh, Hiddleston, right? Yeah, Hiddleston's Loki. Um, Richard Madden is the guy that plays Icarus in the Eternals. Okay, I just read all the comics, but I, I, I don't have a face for that. Yeah, hey, next time you see a trailer, trailer, and somebody's got a Scottish accent and throwing eye, you know, eye beams about, that's him. Oh, is that the guy they're saying is basically Superman? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if I have one anyone like that, but so the direction of the series, um, I've always been really fond. I think it's getting more and more difficult to make a traditional spy movie. And my reasoning is very simple is because so much of it is now in the cyber realm that it, it almost puts a James Bond, a secret agent like that. If you're going to set it in contemporary times, some of it, so much of it is coding and hacking and stuff, and it almost doesn't. It, it seems like so. It's more and more unlikely that there's going to be a need to like send one guy in, you know. And and so my thought is, why wouldn't you just go back and make period pieces out of this? Like I was indicating, like with Adrian Paul, how cool it would have been to have him go back and set it in the 1960s when. You know, that stuff was, you know, even spies had to sort of make it up on the go because now, like, guys are just going to pick up their smartphone. And, you know, even silly things like now so many of us are wearing laser, um, notwithstanding, 
uh, watches on our wrists that do way more than uh, James Bond's watches ever did. Um, oh yeah. So I mean, it's like it's funny. Like, does he does the new Bond wear an Apple Watch? You know, that'd be. I don't want that to happen, but at the same time, the Daniel Craig versions have been set sort of in. You know, they've been as grounded in reality, to use your words, and it's very true, as much as you possibly can for a James Bond film. So, I mean, you know, James Bond out there running around with an Omega Seamaster. Meanwhile, I'm communicating just fine with everyone from my watch. So I'm interested to hear what you think. How are you going to – how would you think they're going to meld all of what's going on with modern society and, you know, throw whatever you want in there versus what should come next? How do you – what do you think about this? Well, I think you make some good points there, Darren, especially with the technology. I mean, we've leaped in technology. I remember when I was a kid, we'd watch these sci-fi movies where, you know, they had video phones that looked like a freaking Texas Instruments computer. They're huge and this bulky thing. I've got a video phone in my pocket. Yeah. It's, I mean, the processing power of the Android in my pocket right now is greater than that of my first laptop. Isn't that insane? And my first laptop was not that long ago, let me tell you. <laughs> Isn't that insane? So it is. This stuff's just growing leaps and bounds. And uh, so I think, yeah, digital security and being a web developer, I'm very familiar with this concept. Um, digital security is the huge thing now, and that's where the terrorist attacks come from. It's, it's going to be cyber attacks moving forward for the most part. Physical things are starting to wane yeah, because so what's you can do a do? lot more damage with a cyber attack be sent in to assassinate some kid on a laptop you know and it's one yeah. of those things like i remember like i and this is just a personal aside a couple of years ago um i ended up finding an, an apple an apple watch one on ebay and i bought it and i had it for like four or five months and it, it just it, it sucked it wasn't that great i i it was great for exercise and then you know, of course, that was the first version. And then, like, I thought at one point, about a year and a half ago, like, if my 14-year-old self knew that I could have a spy watch on my wrist, by the way, better than any spy watch we ever could have dreamed of as kids, and I wouldn't have one, my 14-year-old self would be really upset with me, and I'd end up getting one for Christmas. But I, I, that's kind of the point here is that you're right, so much of what we have is better than anything they ever dreamed up uh, in terms of gadget-wise. So what would you think about taking all that stuff away from a Bond movie, getting rid of all that stuff from a Bond movie, leap backwards in time, and set these things up as a period spectacle? I, I think we're maybe to the point where that's going to have to happen at some juncture. Um I don't think we're quite there yet. I mean, there is still physical violence in our world. There is still the need for the muscle like Bond. That that hasn't faded completely. I think the, the logical next step would probably be Bond more of a support role. Not support role, but, you know, Bond's mission being, you know, protecting the people who are handling the real problem. <laughs> And figuring out That's who's trying to kill them, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. you'd probably have to evolve it in that direction next. Um, Bond as a standalone is starting to lose relevance, to, to be sure. You know, it's it's so, like, how does he go off the grid now? Like, how many times in, in any of the trailers, like, is Judy Jen saying, find Bond? He's right there. We got him. He's the, we know where he is. Don't worry about it. 
Find it's like crap. If, if Jason Bourne can't hide forever, come on. <laughs> right. Seriously, we have him. Don't worry about it. Well, how, how'd you do that? We've known where he is the whole time. How? It's Listen, there's cameras everywhere, lady. <laughs> it's... I don't know. That's it's real interesting to see where they go from this. It's interesting to see who the next actor is, um, or actress. I, we'll see. I think the problem we're getting here with the technology updates is that, like you said, with the technology we have right now being so crazy, considering what we knew thirty years ago, this is getting to the point where to make Bond have technologically advanced gadgets, we get into the realm of science fiction now. Yeah. You'd have and to. it starts to get unintentionally ridiculous. I mean, look at Tomorrow Never Dies. He's driving the car with his phone. Now we have self-driving cars. I mean, my it's... I don't know if it's a car you drive with your phone at this point, but, I mean, it pretty much does everything else. Yeah, and that's why I think the Craig movies have done that right by downplaying the gadget aspect. There, there really isn't a whole lot there. I mean, look at Casino Royale. What's he got to Anti-poison kit and a defibrillator in his glove box. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, it's that, interesting to see the how... The car's they... just... It, yeah, that Aston Martin's just pretty much an Aston Martin. <laughs> yeah, but the last two, they've gotten a little crazy with that thing, which I'm kind of glad. Like, I don't I don't mind it, like, when I see the headlights go down and those guns come out. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm in for yeah, that. That's... I buy that. I That's the classic Aston Martin, you know, something like that. Yeah, it's standard feature. Um, yeah, that was well. That was like you know your original licensing deal with uh, all sorts of things with Goldfinger. That was the other thing it pioneered in Bond films was licensing. Yeah, I mean it's and licensed merchandise. And I remember my dad had the little like uh, the diecast metal Corgi vehicles. I don't know if you oh, know yeah. that company. I remember those. I have a bunch Cor- of those. Corgi, Corgi made some great stuff, and my dad had the Aston Martin DB5. He did, and uh, he passed that on to me when I was old enough. You still have it, and I don't. No, I have no idea what happened. It got lost in a move somewhere with the family moving, oh. and I can't figure out what happened to it. But we had the Aston Martin. We had the little white uh, convertible from "You Only Live Twice." I think there was a third one he had, you but that Aston the Lotus? Martin was. We did not have the that Lotus. Stupid Lotus. I had a Hot Wheels of the Lotus, but um, this is the cheapest looking car that he ever drove. The Corgi was amazing. Let me tell you that that toy was fantastic. I mean, it had the bulletproof shield that sprang up in the back when you pushed the tailpipe down. It had the little uh, tire shredders that popped out of the sides. Oh, that's awesome! It had the uh, rotating license plates. It had the ejection seat. You're rolling the car and you you push down on the top of it on the wheels and the roof would open up and the ejection seat would come flying out and it came with bond and it came with the guy that was holding the gun on and molded and you know that pose oh that's a great find that's yeah great it was amazing and i miss that thing i wanted back i have a i have a, a bunch of the corgi batmobiles that's obviously getting off topic here um but i don't know that's that's to me I think that's the Bond icon, though. I mean, that's the one thing that Bond has. If you're ever going to like get merchandise for Bond, you got to start with that Aston Martin DB5. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the only thing I can think of that would be would appeal to a kid. Well, it looks like they might have reissued the Corgi Aston Martin, so uh, I might have to go find one. I might have to. <laughs> All right, so we've covered our top ten. We've hit our number ones. 
Darren, anything else you want to throw in here? No, this is a lot of fun. I know we had this planned for a long time, and uh, truth be told, we did it once, and it <laughs> lost the time. Well, this was fun. We actually went through all the movies. Um, I literally don't know what else there is to say about James Bond at this point, but I'm sure they'll give us something over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think we are very much beating a dead horse at the end of this. Uh, we've covered everything yeah, we possibly we, could. We <laughs> beating a dead Bond, maybe? Maybe. All right, So, but we do have some good stuff coming up. Uh, I, at the moment, it looks like all five of us are together. Uh, coming up next month for our holiday special, which is a, an annual uh, treat that we do. And, uh, mm-hmm. we, and we do have something that, Mark, you've teased us with a little something that I cannot wait talk about i'm gonna have fun with this uh retro review let me tell you and it is oh you want me to actually reveal uh, it here yes, uh, yes i'm going to subject myself to the infamous star wars holiday special yeah i'm excited about that we're also going to talk about i may have mentioned this last month we're also going to talk about what's under the tree 2021 it's something we did last uh last year about you know we we've just get so much of what's out there in pop culture and Nothing is gone forever, and like I said last month, Michael Keaton's coming as Batman, uh, back as Batman. Everyone's excited about that. I know I'm thrilled. But what possibly could be under the tree? What would you want to see Christmas morning that you proverbially have not yet gotten? Um, So I'm really excited about that. Plus, we will have our end-of-the-year awards coming up after that in December. Uh, and lots of stuff to look forward to. It's getting, this is my favorite run of shows we do every year. Um, so I'm excited. All right. I'm looking forward to it too. I'm looking forward to my first holiday special. So, uh, very excited for that and we'll see you then. Yeah. Mark, send us on our way as only James Bond could. Darren, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond. I expect you to die.